when I was assigned to do this uh, chapel, I've been thinking what would be the proper topic uh, to speak about. In the beginning, I thought, well, we are in a seminary. People are getting prepared to do ministry, to preach, to be pastors, to be seminary uh, professors. So I think I'll, prepare, I'll talk about us, about the ministers. And then, as I was attending chapel after chapel, most of the chapels I have seen, they, are been, they have been discussing the same issue. Uh, when uh, Pastor uh, Trumper came, he even spoke from 2 Corinthians, and I was thinking that I should preach from 2 Corinthians. And as he was preaching, I kept saying, now, now what? <laughs> I have to find something else, not, not about the messenger. But I'll speak about the message that we are carrying. Because we are messengers, we are, we are ambassadors, being prepared to be ambassadors, who will carry a message. And so I decided, well, I will, I will preach about the message that we are carrying, especially with the amount of distraction around us, all over the world, about what to preach, what is the, the main message that we are carrying, what is the gospel that we should preach, what is the gospel that we should even die for. Uh, so I decided to come to Romans, to Romans 1, um, to preach about what is the, what is the gospel. And, um, and there's a lot, as I said, there's a lot of destruction, there's a lot of misunderstanding of what is the gospel. Sometimes people may think what we do is the gospel. Loving our congregation or our people is the gospel. Um, helping them financially or medically is the gospel. But the gospel is simply good news. The gospel is not something that we do. We can do the gospel. There's a, fa a famous saying about the gospel that I, uh, I do not appreciate. And uh, it, is, it has been said that Francis uh, of Assisi said this, like, preach the gospel at all times when necessary. Use words. This is wrong. We must use words as we preach the gospel. The gospel is something that God has done in Christ. And we have to, to say it simply, it's good news. How can you talk about news without proclaiming them? So, um, today we'll see what is this message that Paul was preaching from Romans 1. And I'll have three quick points, the quick three points about Paul and six points about the gospel. Usually I do not preach nine points in a sermon, <laughs> but since I am in Puritan seminary, I'll preach like Puritans. <laughs> Uh, so, in Paul's time, this is the way they would write letters. It's a letter. Today, when we write a letter, when, we, when you write an email, what would you do? You would say, dear so-and-so, right? You, you begin by, by naming the, the one to whom you are sending. But this, this was not the way they were writing letters at that time. Every time Paul would write a letter, you'll find the, f the first word is his name. He's talking about himself. I am Paul. But interesting, in, in, in Romans, this is the longest introduction that Paul has uh, in all of his epistles. Uh, probably he's doing this because Romans was, was people or the city that he did not visit yet as a Christian. 
He did not plant this church. He did not meet these believers, not all of them. Some of them who traveled in other places he met, maybe. But he never, never visited the believers in Rome. He tried several times, but it didn't, it didn't work. Things stopped him. So he wanted to introduce himself to them. And not just to introduce himself, he wanted to establish his credentials as an apostle, as someone who has a commission, who is holding a message, and he's, he wants to proclaim this good news of Jesus Christ. Even beyond Rome, Rome was the, the capital of the Gentiles, he even wanted to go to Spain. And he wanted Rome to be a place from which he moved to go to Spain. So he wanted to establish his credentials. This is the gospel I'm preaching. This is who am I, and this is, what, this is the, the message that I'm carrying. And as he was doing this, he gave himself three descriptions. Quick three descriptions. The first, a servant of Jesus Christ. A servant. Literally, the word means a bond servant. Not just someone who is helping someone or serving someone. He's a slave. Someone who has been bought by price. Someone who is not just doing his own will. He's always doing the will of his master. He's a bone servant of Jesus Christ. What an honor to be serving this great king. And I know many times we just read the word Jesus Christ normally. Okay, Jesus Christ, we, we know him. But at that time to, to write about Jesus, that he is the Christ, this is huge. This is the Messiah that we have been waiting for as Jews. Finally, he's here. He's the Christ. He's the king. He's the son of David. And I'm his slave. I'm doing whatever he wants me to do. I will say whatever he wants me to say. So this is the first thing. He's a bond servant. The second, he's saying, called to be an apostle. He did not call himself. He was called. And not, not, not a regular ministry, it's, it's an apostleship. Well, he is not promoting himself. The, and the word apostle here refers, refers to a very authoritative role for Paul. Not every person in the New Testament, every believer was an apostle. None of us will be an apostle. Being an apostle means his, his words are as authoritative as the words of the prophets of the Old Testament. <coughs> what we are going to read about the gospel in the book of Romans, it's not Paul's ideas or Paul's views of what the gospel should be. What Paul is going to say is what God is saying. He's an apostle. You may read a book, a great book for great theologian, but at the same time you may be asked to write a book review, right? And it would be expected from us to make positive and negative critiques, right? At some point. You can't do this with the book of Romans. No chance to do negative critiques. It's God's word. It's written by a man called Paul, but he's an apostle. The apostle of Jesus Christ. So when we read this word, we say, Amen. We submit to it. This is what it means for him to be an apostle. He's not just defending himself as a person. He's talking about the message that he's carrying. The apostle 
called to be an apostle. And the third description, he is separated unto the gospel of God. It's interesting this word separated. The same word separated has been used for the Pharisees. Paul was a Pharisee. And to be a Pharisee may mean separated to the law. And interestingly, the one who was separated to the law is now separated to the gospel. By God's grace, Paul is set apart for the gospel, to preach the gospel. This is the same gospel that we are carrying today. The same gospel that Paul has been separated to preach. It is the same gospel that we are preaching for those who are around us. So what is this gospel? We'll see six things, as I I said. The first thing, in verse 1, it is the gospel of God. This is the first thing about this gospel. It is the gospel of God. Usually, many people, when they open the Bible, they try to find themselves in the Bible. Uh, What God is going to tell me today? I need a word for myself. Uh, Trying to position themselves in some of the stories of the Bible. But this is not what the Bible is, is about primarily, and this is not what the gospel is about. It's about God what he has done, what he has promised, what he's doing. It was a surprise for me when I tried to find what would be the most repeated word in the book of Romans. People may think justification, righteousness, salvation. No. The most repeated word in the book of Romans is God. The gospel is from God. It's about God. What God has done It's what God is saving from. Even what he is saving from primarily, it's the wrath of God in Romans 1.18. So this gospel is about God and the righteousness from God, the power of God unto salvation. It's from him, through him, and to him. And this is a great privilege to carry the gospel. We are carrying God's word. This is what we are preaching. We are not preaching our words, it's his words. It's a great, a great privilege. And that's why it's a, a good news, because it's his words. If it was our words, I don't think it would have been good news. But it's also a great responsibility. We cannot change it. We cannot alter it. We cannot modify it to make it more suitable for the people around us or for, the, for our context. We are carrying the words as it is. And this is what, what Paul is saying as, as, as a minister, his role as an ambassador, God's representative. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, Be reconciled to God. When we preach, we are speaking on behalf of Him. His words, not our words. We don't have the liberty to change it, or to add to it, or to subtract from it. We preach it as it is. 
So the first thing about the gospel, it's the gospel of God. It's from God. The second thing in verse 2, separated unto the gospel of God, which, which he had promised. What is which? The gospel. He had promised. So this gospel is not a new idea. It's not something that came in the New Testament for the first time. It has been promised. It's the same gospel, the same gospel that has been preached throughout the whole, the Old Testament. From Genesis 3.15, this great promise, the enmity that God promised between the woman and the serpent and the seed of the, mo- the woman and the seed of the serpent, and that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. This promise, this is, this is the gospel, and this is what has been fulfilled in Christ, and this is what Paul is preaching. I'm preaching something that has been promised from the very beginning. I'm not coming with a new message. And the whole Old Testament was preparing the way for the fulfillment of this, of this promise, of this gospel. As we go through the Old Testament, we see it becomes clearer and clearer. But it's the same message, one message. When we reach Genesis 3.15 and we, we follow that, then we come to Abraham. This is not a new story. The story of Abraham is connected to Genesis 3.15. The blessings to Abraham are the blessings promised in Genesis 3.15. So we know this, this seed of the woman, he's the son of Abraham. And now we're waiting. What else? He's from the tribe of Judah. He will be an Israelite. He will be greater than Moses. He's the Passover lamb. He's the suffering servant. He's the prophet. And then the New Testament would come and say, all the promises that we have been reading about the son of David, about the Messiah, about the suffering servant, about the son of Abraham, about the Passover lamb, about the rock, about the manna. Genesis 3.15 is being fulfilled in this person. It's one message, the same message. And if we, if we ponder, if we look at this, what a privilege to be a part of this redemptive history. When we preach every Lord's Day, when we preach in any circumstances, we are carrying the same message that has been given to these hearers of faith this same message that they were preaching. We are part of this redemptive history now, communicating the message that these prophets were promising, or God was promising it through them. What a privilege to be part of this redemptive history. We are carrying the fulfilled promises given to Abraham, to David, to Isaiah, to Samuel, We are carrying the same message. What a privilege. Third, what is the substance of this gospel? What is this gospel all about? So it's the gospel which he had promised, afforded by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning, concerning, this is the substance, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. To make a long story short, and I will use this sentence several times because this, these two verses are packed. It's about who Christ is and what he has done. This is the gospel. 
If you say, I preached the gospel and you never mentioned Christ, you did not preach the gospel. If you preach a sermon without Christ, this was not a Christian sermon. Concerning his son. And Paul is saying two, two main things. Who he is and what he has done. Let's see first who he is. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. His is referring to God, the gospel of God, which he has promised. Concerning his son. And when he says concerning his son, he's talking about Christ being the eternal son of God. A very special relationship. Later in the book of Romans, Paul will say this in, in Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. In the flesh. Christ is God's son. Christ is divine. He did not become a son when he was sent. As a son, he was sent. He's divine. He exists before the incarnation and was sent to be one of us. So for, for God to send his son presupposes this relationship, this, this special sonship. So the first thing that Paul is saying, Christ is divine. The gospel is about a divine person. His son, Jesus Christ, our Lord which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Well, he is not just a divine person. He became a man. He became a man. He was, he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. He took our flesh and blood. He became one of us. The promised king who was to come. The son of David. Here he is. So he's not just saying that Christ was a person, was just a man. He was not just a regular man. He was a son of David. He, was an, he is the anointed king. And why this is important? Because we have been waiting for promises for the Messiah to come. He, he is this person. He is, he is divine, but he is he's a man, fully man, and he's the son of David. The promise to David that his seed would have an eternal reign now became true. It was the prime focus for all the messianic prophecies, prophecies and the expectations. And here it comes. So the eternal son of God became man and never ceased to be God. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And declared, in other translations it can be, and appointed to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from, from the dead. Now we are moving a little forward to, the, to him as a person and his work. What did, he, what did he do? He's fully God, he's fully man. But now Paul is talking about two stages in the life of this Messianic king, the divine person. There was a time of humiliation. The son of David, according to the flesh. He's still a divine person. But in his resurrection, there is, there is a new stage. An exalted stage. He is now in exaltation. 
as the one who obeyed God, who bore the sins of his people, who died on the cross and raised on the third day and entered a new phase for him as, a, as the divine messianic king. Paul is not here talking about two coexistent stages in, in, of who Christ is. He's talking about two successive stages in his life. According to the flesh, before being crucified, before being raised, he was called the son of David. But now he's the son of David in power. The messianic king who reigned and sent the spirit. And all, all the privileges, all the things that pertain to salvation, he's bringing to his people based on what he has done. Paul, in very few verses here, he's introducing who Christ is and what he has done. And if we think of these few verses, these two verses, it's the heart of the gospel. If you think of what is the gospel, if you read the four gospels, they tell a story. What is the story? A birth of a divine person, right? The birth. And he's talking about the birth. He's descended from David, right? The seed of David. And then he was talking about his life as the son of David, casting out demons, give healing to the people, helping the poor. He's the fulfillment of the Davidic king. This is life. He's the son of David, not just a, a divine person who became man. He's the Davidic king. And then what would the Gospels do? The birth of Christ, his life, his ministry as the Davidic king, and then his death. And here we read about the death implied from the resurrection. Being raised from the death, he, by the resurrection from the dead, this means that he died and rose again. So the death is there. And of course the resurrection. And now he is reigning as the son of David. This is the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus is the promised Messiah who came and fulfilled the promises and integrated the new creation, and now he is reigning on the right hand of the majesty on high, and he's, he's the king of the church. He has all authority to send his people with his, his ministers to preach this gospel, the news of what he has done, of who he is, and what he has done. And this is the message that we are carrying today, Christ and what he has done. It would be a misery if we just preach about sin without Christ. It's so easy to convict people. It's so easy to show their mischief. It's so, it's so easy, easy to show them how, how sinful they are and how sinful we are. So easy to convict people. But this is not the gospel. This is not good news. If we just preach sin and the law, trying to convict people, they will not be saved. They will either to do one of two things. They will either try to be better persons and become proud, or they will fall into despair. Only the gospel would free them and enable them to change. Only the gospel, it's the power of God unto salvation. Only when we preach Christ, people may change. 
if we don't preach Christ, don't expect people to be changed. Conviction will not change people. Christ will change people. Maybe people may laugh at us when we say such a message. Are you still preaching this news about a man who lived 2,000 years ago and died in a, in a country thousands of miles from here, claiming that he rose again? Come on. We're living in a different age. Well, we will be mocked. And it was, this is not new. Paul himself, 2,000 years ago, has been mocked because of this same message. Every time I read Acts 17, Paul in Athens, place of philosophy, and see what, what kind of sermon he preached. He started in a way that they may understand, but he took them to Christ, a man appointed by God to judge the people. He was raised from the dead. He talked about his death and resurrection. And Paul was not a novice. He was not just a person who did not take enough classes about evangelism. He knew what he was doing. And he, he knew that they will ridicule him or make fun of him. He knew it. And this did not stop him. He still preached Christ, him crucified, and risen from the dead. The majority did not listen to him, make fun of him. Some of them said, well, we'll, we'll come and listen to you maybe sometime later. But few people said, we want more of this. Would you? And we will expect the same feedback from people when we preach the gospel. Some people will make fun of what we are saying. Some people will nicely reject it. And some people will say, give us more. We need to hear more about this person. So the gospel is God's gospel, promised by God's prophets, about God's Son, and now I will move to what is the scope of this gospel? I mean, to whom this gospel should be preached? So he is saying, by whom, verse 5, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And I will stop here with among all nations. No one is excluded from receiving this message. You know, when, uh, when I'm asked to preach in some place that I do not know, I don't know the people, I don't know the church, I don't know the culture, and people will say, would you, would you preach to us? And then I ask, and my safest place to preach is to preach about sin and the gospel. Because I know wherever I go, this would be an issue in this place. Sin. And the need for Christ. It's always safe to preach about sin and Christ. Sometimes you would go to a place, maybe intimidating, being here with my professors. It's intimidating to preach before them. But every one of us is struggling with the same struggle. And we all have the same need. The gospel. We all need Christ. To all nations. For us all to be here today, it's a proof of this 
see what, what are the backgrounds of every one of us. If, if I ask every one of you what is his background, his culture, the way he was raised, his country, the customs there, we are different. But still the same message that saved all of us is the same, right? It's the same message. We all have the same problem. Pride, sin, boasting, boasting in the wrong place. We all have this deep hole in our heart that want to hear, well done. And we are trying to do whatever we can to hear these two simple words. Well done. And the gospel is telling us we can hear these words from the most important person ever, from God himself. If we are in Christ, we have these two words, well done. What a relief. What a comfort. Only then we are free to love God and to other people. This message is the message needed by everyone that you, can, you may ever meet from every culture. Barbarians, Greeks, wise, unwise, no matter what kind of education this person had, no matter what was his background, no matter what his country is, no matter what was his religion is, they need the gospel. They need Christ, the crucified and risen Christ. This is what they need. Primarily, this is what they need. No one is excluded. Don't ever think that this person is very far from receiving the gospel. The most unsuitable person that you can ever think of needs the gospel. And the power of the gospel can change him. Sometimes we think, well, I can't talk to, to so-and-so. He's very wicked. He's very far. He's not, he's not thinking of it as all, at all. He is even an enemy of what we are doing. No, no. I, I may seek someone easier, more receptive. Well, this guy who wrote these words was the least person in the apostle's mind to receive the gospel. They did not even believe that he believed. Barnabas had to take him with his own hands and bring him to the apostles and say, he believed. They didn't expect this. I, I always think of, of Paul, before being the Apostle Paul, as a terrorist. Who was going to the houses of the Christians, dragging them to kill them. This same person wrote what we are preaching today. It's the power of God unto salvation to all nations. So what is the scope? Everyone. And what is the purpose? For what? By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. What is the purpose of this gospel? For people to be converted? Yes. To become Christians? Yes. To have their sins forgiven? Yes. But not only that. But to have obedience to God, which flow out of this faith. You know, 
scholars debated uh, a lot about what does it mean obedience of faith or obedience to the faith. Some people would think of it as appositional, that faith and obedience are the same thing. Some would think obedience to the faith, as faith is the gospel, is the doctrine, and obedience to this doctrine. And these two ideas, they are, they are right, they are not wrong in themselves, and they can be found in other places in the New Testament. But I believe what Paul meant here for different reasons, I think they are beyond our time uh, today, is that Paul is talking about the obedience that would flow out of faith. Paul is not just seeking that people may be saved, and I mean to be converted, but their whole life to be converted. That the way that they would be obedient to God, out of love. That the, their life may be changed. And this should be our goal as ministers. Not just our people in the, in the congregation, they can say, I am saved. But to see them growing in holiness. Obeying God's commandments. In love. Not out of fear. Not because they are seeking something. But out of gratitude that they, they would obey the commandments. The life after believing the gospel should be different than the life before believing the gospel. And this is what we should see in, in our congregations, in those who are, we are discipling, that the life may be changed. That's why there are two words that are always connected with the gospel. They are not the gospel, but they are the right response to the gospel. Believe and repent. Both of them. They are always connected with the message of the gospel. They are not the gospel in themselves. Christ is the gospel. But the right response to this gospel is believe. Rest. Ascent. Trust. And repent. If we just preach about belief without repentance, this is easy believism. And if we just preach about repentance without belief, it will be a legalism. So we preach, we preach both. Some, some may say, well, we preach the gospel when we go to evangelism, uh, when, when we do ev evangelistic visitations, when we go to the streets and have tracks, we preach the gospel. But now in the church, now it's time to preach the law. Now we need to tell the people how to live. Well, if you try to tell them how to live without the gospel, they will not live in the way that you would expect them to live. <coughs> Only the gospel, even to the believers, may make them live according to God's word, in love. And that's why Paul tells the Corinthians again, I, de I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And, and this doesn't mean that every time Paul preached in this church or every time he talked, he, would, he was just talking about the cross. But every time he would teach them, he would teach them about Christ, the crucified Christ, and how he is related, even to the very practical issues. Think, think of all the practical issues that Paul was dealing with in the churches. Division. In the church, he would say, was Christ divided? He'll bring, he'll bring Christ to the scene. 
he's preaching about immorality in the church. What would he do? He would say, cleanse out the old living. For Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. If he's going to, to deal with problems in the church between husbands and wives, what would he do? He would not do counseling about what man is and what a woman is without talking about Christ. In fact, he would say, women, submit to your husbands. Like Christ, who submitted to the Father. And men, love your wives. Such exactly as what Christ has done. He loved the church. And he died for the church. For marital issues, he will bring Christ. He will bring the gospel to the scene. Humility, if he's dealing with humility in the church, he will bring them to Philippians 2. He emptied himself. God himself, he emptied himself, became a man. And he will talk about the humility of Christ. Is he going to deal with forgiveness? Forgive each other as God forgave you in Christ. He, he wants to deal with a problem of generosity. People are not giving enough for the church. He will not just say, you have to give. He will say, Christ became poor for us. So that we may become rich. He will talk about the generosity of Christ. Seek every issue that Paul dealt with and see how he's connecting it with the gospel. How he's connecting it with Christ. Every time we go to the pulpit to preach, we must lift Christ. He's our man. He's our good shepherd. He's, he's the rock. He's the priest. He's the prophet. He's the king. And if we need to see obedience of faith in the people that we serve, we bring them Christ. And this should be our goal, that we see their lives changing. Paul is saying, we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith, or the obedience of faith among all nations. And finally, what is the ultimate goal of the gospel? What is the ultimate goal of what Paul is doing? And I love what the authorized version, what the King James Version is doing here. Bringing this three words at the end. For his name. For his name. I'm doing what I'm doing. For his name. There are many goals that we spoke of, of the gospel. For people to be changed, yes. For people to be converted, yes. So that they may, that they may become like Christ, in, in Romans 8 he would say, all things are working together for good for those who love God, that they, that they may be conformed to the image of Christ. Well, this is a great goal. But he adds these few words at the end, so that he may become the firstborn among many brethren. This is the ultimate goal. The glory of God through Christ. We are doing what we are doing for God's name. We should do it because we love the people? Yes. We should do it because we want to see the lives, the people of, the lives of the people change? Yes. But our ultimate goal should always be for His name's sake. And this is a question for every one of us here today. Why are you here? Why are you dedicating these years of your life 
all this time? Why are you doing this? For whose name's sake? Paul is saying it was, it's for his name's sake. Ultimately, our motive should be a zeal for the glory of God. We should be troubled when we see his name is not known or blasphemed or ignored. And the gospel should be a fire in our chests that we want to bring to the people for God's name. The relief here is that God is glorified when we preach. If, the, if people believe, he's glorified. If they do not believe, God's still glorified when we talk about who he is and what he has done. And if they ultimately stay in unbelief and were judged, God will be glorified. Preach the gospel for his name's sake. And I think this was in, in Paul's mind as he was writing this. As he was writing these few words in Romans 11, it's from him and through him and to him. It's from him. God, God is the source of the gospel. He, he promised the gospel. It's from him. And it's through him. The gospel, it's concerning Christ, what he has done. It's through him. If there's a if there's conversions, if, if there's salvation, if there's radiance of faith, it will be through him, through Christ. And the ultimate goal is to him, for his name's sake. It's from him, through him, to him. It's the gospel of God promised by the prophets concerning his son and what he has done to all nations for the obedience of faith, for his name's sake. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, what a privilege, what a privilege to be ambassadors for such a great King, to carry this message. Grant us this, these words to be in our mouth as well, that we may say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's God's power unto salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.